Welcome to the Evolution UK podcast. I've got two special guests today for an exclusive interview on their life at the AE. So I've got Ryan and Tom. First, do you want to introduce yourself and talk about who you are and what you do? Mm-hmm. Sure. So uh, my name's Tom. Um, I am one of the business managers working in the national security sector. Um, I cover Gloucester, Manchester and Cheltenham as well. So it's Tom. Um, I also work in national security. I've been here four and a half years um, all the time as a business manager. Um, I guess the scope of my role is to cover people and demand management, uh, business planning and um, employee engagement. Perfect. And in terms of a business and what BAE do to those obviously who aren't aware of the business, can you just provide an overview as to what the business do and the kind of work that you guys are involved with? Sure. Um, so you might hear of BAE systems and think of like fighter jets, nuclear submarines. Um, that is true. Um, they are part of BAE systems, but we're the cyber branch of the digital branch and we're called digital intelligence. Um, digital intelligence is broken up into five different business u- units. Uh, one is national security, which is what me and Tom work in. Um, the other is central gov, international gov, government products and defense. Yeah. And I guess we all pretty much do a very similar thing, which is develop cyber and technological capabilities for a series of government organizations. Um, the government organization, they're based in Cheltenham, a little bit in Manchester as well. Um, other customers that we can disclose, home office, net office, uh, network rail, um, counterterrorism units, met police, um, pretty much anyone with like a Crown Crest logo, um, predominantly an SC work um, and also at DV as well. Okay, so it's, there's quite a variety of customers that you work with. The business itself, how many individuals do you have working for you? Um, so currently we've got about 4,500 people working our digital intelligence branch. Wider BAE group goes up to 90,000, and so we are only quite a small chunk at the minute. Um, but we have grown considerably in the last couple of years. Perfect. I think it's worth noting of that 4,500, I think national security makes up well over 1,000. So you can see core of the business is national security um digital intelligence is kind of built on um national security as well i won't give you too much of a history lesson but uh, started off with smith group i think it was called detega applied intelligence and now we're in digital intelligence as well um all somewhat through um digital national security perfect and with the tech industry and obviously the area that you work in how does bae stay up to date with the latest techs trends that go in in the market um, I think something fairly new that's come out is um, our codes. Um, stands for Center of Domain Excellence. Um, and simply put, it's a collection of experts, and I do mean experts in a certain domain or field, really. Um, the first one we've released, um, I think we're due to release a few more in the coming weeks and months, is centered around AI, artificial intelligence. I'm sure you've seen a lot in the news around chat, GPT, BARD, um, other prompt-based algorithms and LLMs. Um, we want to harness those as well as other aspects of AI um, in the most ethical, practical, and efficient way as well. Um, also ensuring that it meets our strict security standards as well. Um, and code aims to do that, essentially. Um, very new, um, started in August. Of, you know, two weeks into August, so very new, um, but some really exciting stuff is due to come out of that space. Um, and I think that's just one of the key ways that we try and definitely do stay up to date with modern technology. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, AI is on the tip of everyone's tongue at the minute. Um, definitely um, sort of like a five-year business plan. And, and each business unit has its own strategic plan as well. And but on the AI front, um, you know, everyone thinks that it might replace humans in quite a lot of jobs. Um, probably isn't going to be the case in reality, but it will come really into play. Uh, we've seen the impact for chat GP. Uh, GPT has had um, on the uh, on not just the sector but across like all the tech sector. Um, so will we need to upskill everyone in AI machine learning type skills? Probably. Mm-hmm. Um, something more recent has been um, the AWS strategic rollout that we've had. Everything through from like cloud practitioner through to solution architecture. Um, we've upskilled everyone in national security, or at least made it available for everyone in national security to do the training. I guess our head of like consulting, head of engineering, and um, they're more on sort of like the five-year path. Like, what do we need? It might be in five years' time, but software engineering isn't actually a thing anymore because you can just put it all through like an AI machine, like ChatGPT, and then you know it's absolutely fine. And then everyone else is sort of like an AI engineer rather than a software mm-hmm. engineer. And they're the sort of things that we're considering um, going forwards. Okay, perfect. And. Um- the locations, obviously, you mentioned the location for Gloucester and Manchester. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's like working in those lo- locations? Do they differ mm. in terms of the, you know, the geographical locations? I think massively. And um, given you went to university in Manchester, I let you speak about Manchester um, and me um, being from Gloucester way, um, Cotswold through and through. Um, it's a good place to work. A really good place to work. Um, Gloucester, the Keys, massively up and coming. Um, I think they're building like essentially like a box park around Gloucester, which is really, really nice and not far from Cheltenham, places like Bristol. Um, in terms of our office as well, massively connected. Um, M5, M4 corridor, big supermarket nearby. Um, our customer site's about 15 minutes away. Um, Catchment, Swansea, Cardiff. Um, Bristol, obviously Cheltenham, Swindon as well, all probably within less than an hour, which is, you know, really good. Um, it means that you can come into the office, um, coming into the office, you know, is quite like, easy. Very easy. Um, and also not on like a full expectation. Um, even with, you know, the highest level of clearance, could be a DV. Um, we don't expect you to come in five days a week. So, you know, you're only coming in two, three days a week, which is ideal. In terms of culture, um, it's very much built on national security as a sector, um, which is fantastic. You know, it's a good sector to work in. I, for one, feel very comfortable, and I'd hope that everyone else that works in Gloucester would say the same. Um, so, yeah, out and out, I think Gloucester's a good place to work in. Culturally, pretty sound, whether you're young, like me, um, or a bit older. Um, very welcoming, to say the least. Yeah, and on the Manchester front, it is our newest office at Digital Intelligence, and so short history and um, to, to tell you about when we opened up and um, we opened it up as like a bit of an investment project and um, because one of our main customers had moved up to manchester and there was about four people there we had some big growth plans which was i guess halted slightly due to the pandemic mm-hmm. and we've come out i guess the back of a pandemic now and had a real aggressive recruitment um strategy it's worked really well so we've gone from four to 130 people up in the manchester office in the space of sort of 18 24 months which is really good it's important to hire the right people there as well, because a lot of these people haven't worked in national security before, which is the polar opposite to the Gloucester office, where at least most people around the Gloucestershire area has heard and or maybe even worked in that area before. Mm-hmm. Um, that's completely different up in the northwest. The Manchester office itself, um, I mean, we originally have a bit of a satellite office, which is really nice. Um, it holds about 25 people 
we've obviously outgrown that considerably now and there's a little bit more of a work from home culture. Um, in September, we're actually opening up a brand new office and still in Manchester City Centre um, at Circle Square. It's due to open on the 11th of September and that's going to be for over 200 people um, holding different uh, variety of networks in there as well. Um, so super excited for that to open. I think, um, well, having seen uh, the groundwork that's going on there already, confident that's probably going to be our best office um, in the company. And I mean, on culture in Manchester, we definitely don't want it to be the same as Gloucester. Um, one of the key reasons for expanding into Manchester is because it brings a new type of workforce um, and that is inadvertently a different culture. It's exactly what we want. We don't want to make sure that you know, everyone and everything is the same as it is in Gloucester. Its own culture, its own ways of working, its own working groups, its own initiatives, its own strategy. Um, still working with Gloucester, but inadvertently separate in certain ways. Mm -hmm. I think just um, just on that um, point about you know the different culture there. Um, DNI on the tip of everyone's tongue at the minute, and especially um, the diversity we're bringing through the door. And our Gloucester office, um, well, to be fair, across all offices, we're doing all that we can to bring in as much diversity as possible. And because the Manchester office is quite new and starting from scratch, um, we're actually considering that we're in the tech sector as well at 47% female in the Manchester office. Um, and the majority of people in the Manchester office are techies as well. I think that's a real testament to the work that we're doing at BAE Systems, trying to bring in more diversity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just touching on, obviously, you've gone through the collaboration and integration. How do you guys effectively manage the integration between contractors and perm? With you obviously saying the size of digital intelligence and having a hundred, uh, sorry, a thousand people in that area. How do you ensure that that works smoothly as possible? So I think aside from like the the permanent benefits that you get, like you know your pensions, which um, you know contractors don't have. Um, Contractors at BAE, I think, are really integrated really well. They're not just singletons into roles. We don't treat them like bodies. Um, you know, they're embedded within our, our project teams alongside perms, sometimes junior staff. If they want to be mentors, if they want to be tech leads, we have contractors um, in our security clients who are like that. Equally, if people just want to come in, write code, go home and do a good job, we have roles like that as well. So it is quite, I guess contractors can pick and choose which roles they want to do. Um, just the same as what permanent staff can. If contractors want a rotation, they reach out to me or Tom, um, go for exactly the same process in that regard and get rotated into a project. So let's say if you're currently using Java, if you wanted to do JavaScript or front-end development, that's absolutely fine. We could easily rotate them into one of our 80 projects um, across um, the West Country. And just, I suppose, touching on that, as with a contractor, Historically, they've been expected to go in, do a role and come in and just kind of fulfill the needs. But the fact that you're offering that as not necessarily a benefit, but you're improving their technical abilities as well, yeah. obviously says a lot more about the business and what you're looking to stand for. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Like, we want all people to rotate, um, whether you are a contractor, a permanent member of staff, or even someone that's not an engineer, a consultant, someone like me and Ryan, you know, we're pretty biased when it comes to national security. Maybe it would do us good to move over to a different account. Um, it's important for everyone in DI to, to do something new. Um, and we want to support that as best we can. Um, stagnation as well. Um, we don't want people doing the same thing day in, day out. Um, a lot of DV contractors might want to do that. Um, Sam, we've got no issues with that. Um, just let us know. Um, expect us to reach out to you um, and say, do you want a rotation? If you do, fantastic, let's get the ball rolling. If you don't, feel free to shut us down. Mm -hmm. But just as long as they know the options there, much the same as a permanent member of staff, um, hopefully that will stop 
people wanting to leave and make sure that people are happy no matter you know what avenue you come through and then just to expand on that a little bit more then so talking about professional development for contractors and perm staff how do or what do BAE offer to you know individuals to be able to expand professionally um pretty much anything really I mean in terms of like training um I'd say I'd be confident to say like pretty much anything as long as you can provide a good business case um and I don't just mean this is why you should spend money on me um doesn't need to be you know in depth but if you really want to go to this hackathon if it's overseas or you know somewhere up north whether you really want to sit this training that's maybe not through one of our providers the answer is pretty much always yes um as long as you know we as a business can see the rationale we've got the budget to do so um and you as an individual and your career manager think it's a good idea yes but the, the answer is always yes we want you to and i think that links back to how do we stay up to date with the latest technologies? Um, I, for one, um, and I think Ryan would agree that I'm probably not as up to date with the latest technologies. I'd hope and I'd be confident to say that our engineers are. And the only way they are going to stay up to date is by undertaking training, doing their own research, going to hackathons, meeting other people. Um, and we as a company need and do pay for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do have quite a big training budget um, that we um, frequently tap into. I mean, the last two years, we've actually spent a little bit over that training budget as well. So we're definitely not tight with it. Um, another thing other than training um, is our career management scheme. So everybody, I think apart from the managing director, has a career manager. Um, different to a line manager, your line manager is someone who tasks you. And the career manager is someone who is, uh, can provide an unbiased view about, um, or not, I guess, tell you how to run your career we'll give you career advice and um, if it's a good idea to rotate your line manager probably wouldn't say go and rotate and um, they might if they're really nice but really they're selfish if maybe thinking about their own project career manager is someone who can say i actually think it would be a good idea for you to rotate to broaden your skills into this area this is an area that i might have worked in before it would probably do you some good um so career management i think is a real positive i don't know how many other companies actually do career management i think it works really well with us and um that again leads to a uh, rotations um, process as well, because as soon as they're told their career manager, they come and tell us and um, starts the ball rolling and we're able to have, I guess, informed decisions about where they want to rotate into. Yeah. And I think having somebody there to provide a bit more guidance rather than a line manager, especially is important as well to the likes of graduates that are coming in and don't really have any kind of industry experience or the exposure to the kind of real working environment yeah yeah and with all our career managers it's important to note that they are always of a relevant profession for example if i am a junior software engineer they are a more senior software engineer if i'm you know a senior agile coach um my career manager is an even more senior agile coach they've been in the business longer um they understand the sector better and um, they understand the role better as well mm -hmm. um so they are the handbar on the back when it comes to all things career related and pivotal as well um like ryan said them being aside from your project is so good because it means that it just eliminates any bias and opens up so much more dialogue when it comes to end of year reviews building that promotion case and anything else as well really mm -hmm. okay and you mentioned with the dv roles or dv requirements that you don't necessarily need to be on site five days a week they can be you know two to three days as a wider business and the flexibility around remote working, we all know that's massive since COVID. How do you accommodate that and how does it benefit you, you know, in your personal life? So I think hybrid um, has to benefit. Oh, I see three, three people that have to benefit. The customer, 
um, the individual and our business as well. And I feel like we are quite flexible in terms of if there is a need to not be in the office, um, it might fit you. I need to do the school run, for example. Um, absolutely fine. Like all of our customers are really on board with that. I want them. That is, in definition, an increasing environment. Um, so absolutely fine to do that. Not coming into the office full time as a business, we probably don't um, really support full time working from home. Um, but what we do support is probably not the two to three day a week, even if you are cleared. Um, that's absolutely fine to do. Um, we have projects which are hybrid, like fully hybrid. So two days, three days a week in the office. Equally, we do have five days a week in the office. So if you live really close to our client site and you want to go on site all the time, absolutely fine. And um, a fifth of our workforce are actually on site. And other than that, um, you know, if, if you're more of the two days a week on site, we have projects which are, can accommodate that as well. Mm. And on the question of how do we support it, um, two, things I'll quickly fly over is um, for all permanent staff, we've got the ability to purchase like monitors, keyboards, peripherals, um, all at the expense of the company delivered to your own home through essentially like our version of Curry's, we'll say. Um, monitors, keyboards, peripherals. And then on top of that, we've got £300 allocated for anything else you deem necessary. So with that 300 quid, you wouldn't be able to get a monitor, a keyboard and the other bits because you can get that off the portal, but desk, chair, um, Wi-Fi extender, anything else you might need, you've got £300 and you can expense that. For some people, they might start at the company, they've got a really decent gaming setup or home working environment, they might just want a new chair, um, you've got 300 quid to play with. Um, on the flip side, especially at the more junior level, um, they might start the company, start with the company and just have their BE laptop. With that £300 in the portal, um, I can confidently say that you've got the ability to get everything you need um, for a very comfortable home working environment. Um, and that environment should mirror what we have in the office, which is two monitors, keyboard, mouse, a docking station, comfy chair, comfy desk. Mm -hmm. One topic that is quite big at the moment in not just the technology area, but in, you know, real life world, the real world, what do BAE do to promote diversity and inclusion? Um, so on DNI, um, I mean, starting with people actually coming into the business uh, we've done quite a bit of work um i mean Rangers is a great example of, of it working really well um bringing in junior cohorts um so we um bring people in through schemes called code first girls which aims to bring more females into the tech sector um mindweaver as well is another company that we work for which looks to um, increase ethnic diversity in, in tech as well then we've got other I guess, graduate and what we call NSAC, which is NS Academy, um, which are still kind of like graduate level um, software engineers coming into the business. And we aim to make sure that we've got 50% female to male split um, at interview stage. And then I guess it's completely unbiased. Um, you know, if 90% of people that we want to hire are female or male, you know, that's absolutely fine. We've given it a good shot at the 50-50. Mm -hmm. Generally, it always works out 60-40 one way or the other. And I think that's like a really positive step in the right direction. On the more senior hire, um, we have um, partnered with Tech Returners as well, um, bringing in a couple of cohorts um, through Tech Returners, which aims to, I guess, get more people back who have taken career breaks. Um, the, the main one is, is maternity leave. Um, and it's a bit of a refresher course for experienced people, normally technical leads, to try and get back into the workplace, give them the confidence as a bit of a refresher three-month course. And then um, we'll look to bring them into the business and integrate them properly um, through that route. 
on the inclusivity side, um, we've got um, employer resource groups. So we've got um, like Great Minds, which focuses on mental health, we've got Outlink Reps, uh, VetNet, which aims uh, to help veterans get back into the workplace, and Embrace, which is being inclusive, uh, especially more around like religion, whatever you can think of. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of employer resource groups. And if we are missing something, any employee, and it's going back to the transparency um, bit, and any employee can reach out to any one of the leadership team and say, I've got this idea. Please, can you pick it up? And we might say, well, here's some, you know, here's mm-hmm. some budget. If you feel passionately enough, you can start that yourself. Equally, if you don't feel confident to do that, absolutely fine. One of the leadership team will pick it up and take it forward through the appropriate routes as well. Mm-hmm. And it's important to know with our working groups, um, they are not just like, you know, hobby groups. And, you know, there's not just an exercise so you can take a DNI box at the end of the year. They're all fully, estab- fully established working groups with boards, um, big budgets. Um, and it goes without saying they have a huge impact um, on people on the ground. And even if you can't relate to them, um, know that they are having a big impact on the people around you inadvertently making you know your job and everyone else's job much better um port tonight as well that they are open to everyone whether you are a permanent member of staff someone that's just been here two days a contractor all our working groups are available I and mean, we encourage everyone to get involved great you mentioned before obviously about manchester and the growth in manchester and what you do for new starters and um obviously the budget that they get and the online portal when it comes to retention and retaining staff, how do you guys measure, you know, how happy people are in the roles? Do you do anything around their kind of overall job satisfaction? Mm-hmm. So one quite small thing um, is just simply asking people. So all our projects will do a bit of a survey. I think at the end of every quarter, um, just get a gauge on how everyone's feeling, standardized way to do it. Um, and then that is fed back up to the leadership team. Um, every i want to say every project does it or at least they should do it um of our 80 projects it gives us a good gauge um obviously it is dependent on people filling it out um so that's one way we measure it um how we i guess not necessarily tackle but definitely prevent um people leaving and hopefully improve people's well-beings is rotations um we touched on it a bit earlier um but just to emphasize the importance of rotations like if you want to move the answer is always yes and we actively encourage it and for new people into the business, especially at a junior level, you should be moving within like 18 months, really. At the more senior level, looking to move at two to three years. Um, you're seeing new people, um, new technologies, new ways of working, new culture. Um, you're improving your career because you're seeing something new, um, but also improving the business unit. As new people come into projects, they can adapt new onboarding processes. You know, if someone onboards into a project, the onboarding's crap. Um, there's a fantastic opportunity to improve that process, which mm-hmm. is really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, just on top of that, there's also a survey called My Work Plan, which comes out every six months. And that asks you a um, simple set of questions, takes you about five minutes to fill in. One is simply, are you happy on your project? And there's five drop downs, and they range from really bad to really good and very happy. Um, but the middle one is like, I'm starting to think about my next role. Um, when someone ticks that box, that's fine. We know they're okay and they're happy and, and that's fine. But then equally, we make a mental note that in sort of like a couple of months time, reach out, see how they are, because it might be that they're getting itchy feet maybe, and we might be able to find the perfect role across any one of our 80 projects. Okay, perfect. And then we've obviously discussed um, what they can expect when they join as, as a, the kind of wider business. We're just touching on your business unit in national security. 
what can a new joiner expect when they first join the business from you know you two guys as business managers mm-hmm. um, so tom uh, runs a onboarding side really well um, but ultimately um, we reach out from the moment that people get an offer um, just so that there's a point of contact on the ground um, that they can ask um, we have an onboarding team, um, but really they don't, they don't work within national security because they're, they're onboarding. Um, so really we help manage the, the localized one um, and we run inductions which are localized. We give a full overview across um, our London clients, um, Bristol and Gloucester clients as well. Um, ultimately, when day one when you join, uh, there'll be sort of a couple of days of inductions um, and then you'll go into your projects from there. And I, I guess on the, the the question of what can you expect like support um challenging yeah accepting atmosphere um some fantastic peers to work with um exciting work and um, you are working at the heart of the national security mission um inadvertently that is cool work to say the least um and endless opportunities whether that's within national security or one of our business units um the business is literally your oyster which is really good yeah, and I think um, on the work we do in NS, I don't really think we've actually touched on that a massive amount. Um, but Tom's are like, it is really cool. Like, you know, we're not designing HR systems for the UK government. We're designing tech which can help stop paedophiles online and um, really rewarding stuff. I like guess stuff that you can get up in the morning for uh, if ever you're not feeling too motivated. And um, whether it's paedophiles, organized crime, you know, terrorism, um, you know, right across the board, like the work we do is genuinely life saving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's obviously the element of job satisfaction that comes into that. So these mm-hmm. individuals that are working in this business area in this industry, they're getting up and they're making a difference to everyday lives. Like mm-hmm. I say, it's not just a HR system or a legacy system. Yeah, it is job fulfilment that is you know important to everybody in the UK and the world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah, perfect. So I've got one question. I've been into your offices. I've seen your environment. What's the story behind the Kit Kats? It's a good question. Um, it's something that quite often gets posed to like focus groups and you know what, what is the cultural significance of Kit Kats. Um, my take, and uh, this was somewhat echoed in a focus group a couple of years back, but um, it feels like you open the fridge at home. So I know for, for a fact, whenever I go back to my mum's house, um, one of the first things I'll do is open the fridge, see if there's anything I can eat in there. And I think that a lot of people relate that feeling of that home sense of you open the fridge, what's in there? Kit Kats. And there's always tons of Kit Kats. And for me personally, that's exactly what I want to see. Um, I think that's what it stems down to that comfort in small business, like homey vibe, so to speak, where, yeah, that's what I want. That's what exactly what I want when I open the fridge. We go through a lot of Kit Kats. <laughs> in, in Gloucester Business Park alone last year, we went through 30,000 Kit Kats. So it's uh, keeping them in business. We are definitely keeping, is it Nestle in business? Um, however, if you are on a bit of a health kick, which I know a lot of people are, and um, we do actually um, have free oranges, bananas, fruit. Um, I think we've even got strawberries. If they're in it. season, yeah, in yeah season, we've got strawberries, plums, and um, other little bits. And well. ten grand coffee machines as well, which is pretty good. I mean, they make a mean flat white. So perfect. So that brings us to the end of the podcast. Thank you both for your time today. Um, It's been a pleasure talking to you guys about the business, what you do, and obviously some of the work that you're doing as a whole. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and hopefully we'll see you soon. Thanks a lot, Robin. Thank you, Robin. Thank you.